that innovation or breaking inertia is not done for the sake of doing something new. Mm-hmm. It's done in order to remove a significant limitation. So it's not just how do we do things new, better, uh, disruption, all of that. Yeah. No, let's understand what limitation for me or for the customer I can remove in a way that was not possible before. Mm-hmm. Removing a limitation gives you capabilities you didn't have before. That's why it's different from improvement. Okay, I am so excited today. We have a very special guest, Rami Goldratt, the genius, great person, amazing leader, super smart. And wow, he is wow. the son, I know, and the son of Dr. Goldratt, and I've learned a lot from him. To have him with us today is amazing. So welcome, Rami. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You really raised the bar now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I mean what I say. Uh, when I, you? Yeah, I do. When I got in touch with TOC, it changed my career. It changed my life. It changed what I'm passionate about. It was a fundamental shift in my life. So. Well, I was born into it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had no choice. I, I had no choice. You had no choice. So, Rami, today we're going to talk about inertia a little bit. And can you talk to us a bit first, a bit about theory of constraints, introduce the audience to that from your perspective, and then we can talk about inertia. Of course. So theory of constraints, which my father created, is all about understanding that I- your environment, your organization, your company is a system. And therefore, if you want to get much more from the entire system, you need to look at it as a whole and not try to sub-optimize its various parts. And in order to get much more from the whole, you need to find those leverage points, or we call them the constraints, that really dictates the growth of the, of the business, of the organization, to achieve more goal units. So if you want to understand what is theory of constraints, it's all about understanding what are the key leverage points or constraints of various environments, and how to get much more given these constraints. Excellent. And I think some people limit the constraint to like a, a bottleneck in a production line, like one choke point. Yeah. But I think it's, you know, it's what you said, it's in any environment, there's so a constraint. Funny enough, I think in the last year of my father's life, he said that the ultimate constraint is actually something very abstract. He said the ultimate constraint of any environment is management attention. So the, the ability to make the right decisions, dealing with complexity, uncertainty, and uh, conflicting uh, requirements that you need to manage. So na- bottleneck is something physical, obviously, but the ultimate constraint is said management attention. Yeah, which the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated that. So yeah. in that, I heard Rami <coughs> speak recently on the concept of inertia, and I think he just did such a great job. So let's talk about inertia. Why is that such a big deal or concept in theory of constraints and how you see it? So, sure. So in TLC, we say that breaking inertia is one of the prime responsibilities of the leader, any leader to the subsystem or system that you manage. Uh, what is inertia? It's, it's a term that is co- uh, taken out of physics. And basically, it means it's the tendency of a matter to maintain its current state of uh, rest or motion unless acted upon by an external force. And if you adopt this to, um, let's say, business or organizations, then inertia is this habit we have to continue and keep the same practices even when there is a need to change, even though the reason for these practices is no longer valid. And we think that inertia is something very, very strong. It's not that people are blind 
or are unaware of the problems they have and therefore just keep behaving in a certain manner it's it's really because inertia is so strong you continue to behave in the same way even when you know there is a need to change but you say okay let me try the same solutions the same tactics and and this time it will work so what I mean what drives inertia why is it because I you know same thing we will talk about reduce your work and process everyone knows they should do it they don't inertia so what what keeps people in inertia so when you analyze different environments to understand what constitutes the inertia what we typically find is something we call a vicious cycle that feeds itself and this vicious cycle really describe in what way we are continuing to take actions even though they keep us where we are which is basically inertia a lot of the work we're doing around the world with companies is on the subject for example of innovation how to come up with better products etc and this has to do with the case where you're tackling the market constraint you don't you, you need to get more demand and many of these companies when they what really drive them to apply innovation is not because they see opportunities because but because they face some sort of a crisis that push them to a to break inertia unfortunately they wait for the crisis to to start doing that and and the there are different vicious cycles or inertias uh, for different situations that bring them to uh, to challenge the way things are done by the way if you know remember the the book the goal starts with a uh, bill pitch telling alex he have three months to get his plant around mm. he, you need a crisis in order to break inertia in order to challenge the way things are done i think it's uh, i just want to make a point on that and then we'll continue i think organizations i see this a lot they'll set goals or targets that are just really safe mm -hmm. or very vague um and what you're saying is create your crisis and don't wait for it correct set an ambitious target that forces you to pull out of the inertia or uh, to put it even more yeah. precise you need to set a goal high enough that y it seems to you impossible to achieve given your current constraints mm -hmm. or current practices mm -hmm. and by definition it will force you to challenge these practices to think how you can get much more with what you have um, that's that's and we recommend to do it before you have a crisis mm -hmm. so you are prepared okay for example I mentioned that the vicious cycle really demonstrates this inertia. So let me give you some examples of uh, vicious cycles to tackle uh, inertia or that will demonstrate to us first what is inertia. So some companies, uh, because of the dynamics of their market, find themselves in what we call a red ocean. The ocean is the marketplace and it's red because of the blood of all the competitors fighting with each other. It's basically an environment where there is little differentiation between the various offerings that the competitors are offering to customers. And because of that, they fight very much on price and uh, margin, etc. For example, I'll tell you a story of a company that makes meat pastry that we, we've worked with in the past. They have a very strong brand and they sell this meat pastry in vacuum package on on sh uh, groceries shelf so like next to the sandwiches and everything was very nice they had good profit and good good sales with their brand until the retailers that sold their products decided to develop a private label product which is like a brand owned by the retailer and this means that right next to their brand on the shelf there was a much cheaper option 
and if the private label the this brand that owns by the retailer is successful the retailer will come to you and say if you want me to continue and sell your brand give me better margin and that's exactly what happened to them so they were thrown into this red ocean and of course it means that sales dramatically went down and because of that there was pressure to increase sales mm -hmm. and this translated to actions that they have to take in order to survive in the red ocean but these actions keep them there for example they said we're losing money and market share to the private label because it's cheaper so we also need to be competitive we also need to be cheaper okay but how are can they be cheaper they reduce the meat ingredient okay mm. which is the costly ingredient mm -hmm. but uh, and they did it not because they're stupid but they did it in order to be cheaper so they can f they can uh, compete with a private label product right but obviously when you're reducing the meat in the pastry you actually reduce the differentiation you have less brand appeal so sales continue to drop uh -huh. even more and now you're under pressure to generate sales in a different way which many times translates in doing a lot of promotions or discounts which reduces the profitability and now you are uh, even more under more pressure to Im increase sales you see the vicious yeah, cycle yeah yeah now once we understand it we see very clearly where is the inertia in their case the inertia was that they said our benchmark our reference is the competitor mm -hmm. which is the private label product mm -hmm. And we need to play play its game. We need to play the game, the race the, of the competitor because he's winning. Now that's inertia because you can never win this race. Yeah. It will just, you may you survive. It worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. Until you cannot, you'll not survive. You will survive to some in some t for some duration and then you will not survive, right? Right. So again, it, it's very, when, when we describe it this way, it seems like they're not, uh, it's very strange the action they did, but we see it all the time. Okay, you're losing sales to competition. There are gaps. Let's close the gaps. And many times these are gaps you cannot really close or by the time you close them, the competitor will create new gaps. They've moved on. They moved yeah. on. Uh, or there is a reason why the gaps are there. So even if you invest so much to create the gap, to close the gap, he will still win or the competitor will still win. Is so part of that, I thought what you just said, that was an awesome example. And you talked about the reference point too. Yeah. Do you think part of the inertia is because they kept benchmarking against the wrong reference point? Correct. Yeah. That's the inertia. Yeah, that's that's but it's not because they were, uh, it's not because they, they didn't think so much. It's mm -hmm. because the reference points was, you say, why sales go down? Because yeah. the competition is beating us. Yeah. So we need to, and close the gap to the competition. Yeah. And you see it all the time. Yeah. I and see this with states. They all compete off economic development incentives yeah. and they're not leveraging their own unique assets. So they're just competing competing exactly. in Red Ocean all the time and giving more and more economic incentives. Exactly. Without having a new solution. That's exactly yeah. the point. So how do you get out of the vicious cycle? How yeah. do you break inertia? You need first to understand what is my strength? What is my asset? Mm-hmm. And how can I capitalize on it? How do I leverage it in order to create in order to create more demand, in order to bring more value to customers? And that's that's what we have done with them later on. Okay, let's look at reality not from your point of view, asking, okay, how do we close the gap to competition? But let's uh, look at reality from your customers' point of view. Mm -hmm. The the consumers who buy the products, what are they looking for? And how we can create or upgrade the product in a way that that actually the private label will not matter anymore or will even position us in a better way.
which is what we've done with them. So, But that's huge. I, I, I don't know if people always think about, because we think our reference point is obvious or it's implicit, and we just go along with it. Mm-hmm. But we have to be intentional and deliberate about what our reference point is. And we all benchmark each other the same way. Right. And it's a way to, like I think, com- you know, race to the bottom. And, and why do we say that the breaking inertia is the responsibility of the leader? Because you may reach a point that it's too late. Mm-hmm. That you dug mm. the hole, you dug the hole too too deep. So, for example, w- w- if you use the reference to competition and you just want a benchmark, and you're uh, taking these actions, eventually you may lose the strengths you have. Mm-hmm. You can you will not have anything to capitalize on later on. So why do you why do you think people keep? I mean, you may not have the answer to this, but uh, uh, you talked about once in one of your speeches that people keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you mentioned that earlier today. Why do you think that is? Is it just they can't see it from the customer's perspective? They're just so trapped. They're too close to the issue. What do so you think? So that's a good question, and that's why I just call it inertia yeah. without explaining why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and and the way to break it is not to ask why, but mm-hmm. to f- just put a very high objective that yeah. will force that you to forces think. It. That forces it. I'll give you yeah. another example for inertia. Okay, mm-hmm. a company like uh, Omron Healthcare that. It's a great company, and it, it's, I think it's selling like $800 million. And they have, they have many products, but they have one flag product that made them who they are, which is a blood pressure monitor device to use at home. And they, until today, have double-digit market share. It's really, really nice product. Now, they dominated the world with it for 10 years until the patent expired, and now they have a lot of competitors coming in. And... When we started to work with them, they showed us how they are going to generate more demand, etc. Their product improvement or development initiatives. They showed us 400, they call it Kaizen, <laughs> 400 uh, improvement initiatives in the product development uh, domain. Mm-hmm. But all of them were around how do we make the current blood pressure monitor device even better? Mm-hmm. Which... Again, you can ask, okay, why do you continue thinking that you should make it more accurate or more friendly? It's, it's good enough. Customers don't care about it anymore. But it, it's who they are. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So when we told them, guys, let's look at it from the customer perspective. It's not ha- making the product even more accurate. It's not giving any more ba- benefits mm-hmm. anymore. It's diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. What you really need to look is uh, what type of limitations, other limitations you can remove for the customers. Again, using your strength. What is their strength? They are able to make medical tests much more accessible, Mm -hmm. usable, and 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 affordable. And let's think what other medical tests we can make much more affordable and usable uh, for the public. Let's use your DNA to, to make the next jump in performance instead of polishing and polishing and polishing what you have, which eventually leads to diminishing mm-hmm. returns. So that's like another. That's an excellent example. It seems to me, too, some of my experiences shows that people will have a, a product or a service and they keep just, tr- like what you just said, try to keep improving on it mm-hmm. rather than getting the next breakthrough. Correct. And the bre- next breakthrough isn't more of the same. You literally have to break something, a, a policy, a measure, an assumption. Something's got to break to get a breakthrough. Correct. Instead of doing more of the same. And I think kind of, I don't know what you think on this, but the continuous process improvement mindset, for me, my experience has been take what we have and let's just do more tweaks around the product or service we have. 
And what you're talking about with real inertia and breaking it is a breakthrough. Correct. Is that a fair? That's a fair, fair thing to say, fair way to define it. Uh, just take into account that we understand very well that to make it practical, you have to take into account the current constraints or considerations of the business. Sure. You cannot develop innovation or a breakthrough in a bubble mm-hmm. and then expect it to be applied in real life. It's not, that's, that's uh, maybe startups can do it, but not for many established businesses. So you do want to start somewhere from the current leverages, the current strength of the business. Mm-hmm. But but create a breakthrough, but by by looking at reality from a different perspective. Mm, that's key. So taking your asset, using what you have, like we'll see this in rural parts of the country. They keep trying to get more jobs by incentivizing mm-hmm. more jobs, rather than looking at what's my unique asset. Maybe it's agrotourism. Maybe it's my great outdoors. Maybe I have a cultural asset that I can ex- you know exploit. Um, so you have to start with something. It's not creating something out of air. I'll, I'll give another yeah. example. So. Uh, even three examples without going too much into sure. them but sure. so like three customers that we work with w- very different environments but you will see very soon that they have something in common in the way they need to change their eyes okay create breakthrough the first one is a company that make car wash equipment the type that is installed in gas stations okay so they sell to gas station these equipment with you know the big brushes mm-hmm, etc mm-hmm. the second company is a company that make a Um, laser machines for aesthetics to remove pigments and Mm. other type of uh, aesthetic uh, treatments um, remove hair etc and another company is a a dealership that sells excavators earth digging loading machines like caterpillar etc now very different environments but what is common to all of them when we started to work with them, and they, they were also asking themselves, how do we make the next jump in performance in terms of sales, in terms of profit, etc. And But all their minds was about how do we sell more machines to the market? Hmm. Like the car wash company said, how do we convince gas stations to replace the machines they have with new machines? Mm-hmm. Because they already had a very large market share or the uh, laser, aesthetic laser machines, they were asking, how do we sell to more clinics more machines? Or the excavator uh, um, distributors were as- also asking themselves, okay, how do we, how do we expand to more regions? It's, it was all about how do we sell more machines? Now, you can say, of course, that's what they need to think about because that's their business. Mm-hmm. They, sell, they make and sell machines. Mm-hmm. But due to some particularities in their environments, we saw, and that was also common in all of them, is that all their customers can get much more from the machines that they bought from them. So they're not generating. If One thing common to all the cases is that customers, when they buy th- these machines, it's in order to generate more revenue, right? They, you, they buy the excavators in order to work as subcontractor for construction company. Right. Or a clinic buy the laser machine in order to treat patients. Uh, and the gas station obviously make revenue from the car wash. So, but we saw that they are not exploiting, they are not generating the revenue that they can generate. So if you change your eyes and you say, instead of just asking how do I sell more machines, I ask how do I make sure that my customer will use the machine to generate, the machine he already bought from you, Mm -hmm. in order to generate much more revenue. Mm -hmm. And that's a different question that they are not asking, but when you, you ask it and you find the answers, you can find huge opportunities for another breakthrough which, of course, to generate more business for yourself. 
okay with what you have mm-hmm. not with something new not by thinking okay what other machines I need to develop to yeah. convince them to buy what other markets I need to go to and all of that yeah I think that's those are great examples and I, when you say that it really makes me think about organizations that are very inward focused mm-hmm. all about them and you're right government has to be successful corporations have to make money but you're doing it because you're solving a problem for someone I mean that's how you generate revenue correct right and so if you don't put yourself in their shoes and I'll see a lot of buzzwords today about customer experience and customer journey but it still feels like they're just taking the same product and tweaking it a little bit from their perspective but they're not making fundamental shifts the, the, in what the customer needs. Absolutely. The way, the way I define it with, with customers, I, I say that innovation or breaking inertia is not done for the sake of doing something new. Mm-hmm. It's done in order to remove a significant limitation. So it's not just how do we do things new, better, uh, disruption, all of that. Yeah. No. Let's understand what limitation for me or for the customer I can remove in a way that was not possible before. Mm-hmm. Removing a limitation gives you capabilities you didn't have before. That's why it's different from improvement. The improvement is, uh, getting cap- is being able to do more of what you have. Mm-hmm. But when you're able to remove a significant limitation, you get capabilities you did not have before. And that's really about breaking inertia and, and getting yes. a breakthrough. Okay, before we close, because there's so much great content here, and then we'll you know, give people takeaways. How would you define limitation? Because I do think the definition that you use for removing a significant limitation, when people really spend time thinking about it, is a very different shift in how we approach so these things. Limitation is essentially a barrier to satisfy a significant need that you have. If I will just yeah. summarize it in one sentence. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so... This is like combining two concepts, if I will philosophize mm-hmm. for a moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a concept of, of a difficulty, because it's a barrier to remove. It's d- difficult to remove the barrier. And the concept of undesirability. It's something I desire, I don't have this need. I don't fulfill it to the extent that I can. Okay, mm-hmm. so removing a limitation means that I'm able to overcome a huge difficulty, a barrier, mm-hmm. to get something that I really want. Mm-hmm. Now, it's... One more. I know yeah. I'm, I'm just throwing more no, and more content here. No, but this is so here. good for people. Keep going. When, when you understand it, you see things that are very interesting. For example, all of us live with many, many limitations that we do not regard as a limitation. It's just the way we live. Mm-hmm. Remember, I, I shared with you the example of hormone healthcare that yeah. make this blood pressure monitor device yeah. to use at home. The limitation it removes is that you don't need to go to the doctor. Okay, that's why now I, I, I get new capabilities. I can measure my blood regularly, etc., etc. But do you think people used to complain that they need to go to the doctor to measure their blood pressure? No, I, re- I remember Ford saying once if you surveyed people when they had horses, they want faster horses. They wouldn't yeah. even know they could have a car. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So li- the concept of limitation, which is like a barrier to satisfy a, a, a significant need I have, sometimes this barrier or the fact that you're not satisfying the need is just become a part of your life. Mm-hmm. That's the way you live. You're not going to complain about it. Mm-hmm. Now, this, of course, creates a big challenge for companies that look for innovation because they need to understand what limitations they can remove for customers, even though customers may not necessarily complain about these mm-hmm. limitations. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard thing. You think of like Uber. I think of Uber, Airbnb. 
None of us. I was not t- 15 years ago saying, oh, my gosh, I need ride share. Did, you know, yeah. wasn't a thing. Airbnb wasn't a thing. But they found or discovered a need from the customer's perspective. Exactly. Which is the, the grounding yeah, in all absolutely. this. Absolutely. Before FedEx came, I don't think people used to complain that they cannot ship their packages across yeah. continents in 24 hours. Yeah. It's just the way we live. Yeah. And that's what's so hard because improvement is what do I have? What do I see? What's tangible? The type of innovation you're talking about, not innovation for innovation's sake, is discovering something that isn't always obvious or Correct. visible. And you know, there's a methodology I know that you use in innovation to Correct. help people discover that. From the customer's perspective, Correct. because innovation can you know, be scaled to everyone, Absolutely. but it's a mindset. It's a Correct. mindset. So, any other closing thoughts on inertia? Yes. Yeah. So, I just maybe I'll close it by one of the, going back to the first question you asked uh-huh. about the difficulty in breaking inertia. So, again, inertia is this practice where you continue to behave in the same way, even even though you know you need to change, right? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the reasons it happens b- is because actually, in order to scale, you need inertia. You don't want most of the people in your organization to continuously challenge all the policies and all the practices. Mm-hmm. That's going to create chaos. You will never be able to scale. You need the book of rules and policies in order to be able to do a larger impact on the world on a larger scale. Right. So I'll go back into the, my first sentence and say, and that's why... It's the leader's responsibility to break inertia. Excellent. Okay? You, d- you don't expect the people to break it. The, you expect the leader. Now, every leader, everyone is a leader to s- a subset of a system or a system. It's your job to say, okay, the book of rules have brought us where, where a long way to where we are. It's great. But now is the time to change something. Okay? And it's easy to understand when we face a crisis. But it's also true when we're doing very well. Because maybe the book of rules brought us a long way and we're doing amazingly well. But now, because we're doing amazingly well, we have capabilities we did not have before. Mm. And now if we change something, we can do in the next jump in performance. Right. Or, or maybe we're doing very well, but around the corners, there are threats that if we're not, getting, if we're not ready in time, it will be too late. Yeah. Now, I think that's important because there's these cultures of, hey... All you employ, you know, all employees provide your suggestions in a suggestion box, and we'll just have continual, you know. And I'm not, you need feedback from people. I'm not saying that, but you can't be in this chaos of just innovation all the time. You can't stabilize. You can't scale. I think that's a great point yep. for leaders to understand. Anyway, it's just the the more people can understand the mindset behind theory of constraints, it is a different way of thinking. The problem in our organizations isn't the organization; it's how we think about it. And that's the power. I mean, there's a lot of things that TOC brings, but for me, it's a shift in how we perceive problems. So it was awesome having you here. Thank, Thank you, you very for much. Being part of it. My pleasure. Goodbye, everyone.